coming to you from Hugh's office on the Borg Artifact. This is Politrex. The Time Directive, the Declaration of Human Rights, the United Federation of Planets, the United Nations, World War II, the Dominion Federation War, the Art of War, the Teachings of Sirach, Jesus Christ, Kalos the Unforgettable. Namaste Homo Sapiens, welcome to another exciting episode of Polytrex. This is a continuation of our engaging with Star Trek Picard series. Today we'll be doing a review slash analysis of Star Trek Picard episode three, The End is the Beginning. Uh, before we jump into the actual episode, I do want to tell you that we are a podcast that is a part of the amazing Trek Geeks Network. We have all kinds of podcasts on Trek Geeks. You have Polytrex, our own show. You have the Trek Geeks podcast, which is two goofballs just goofing around talking about Star Trek. I say goofballs. They're the founders of the network, <laughs> Bill and Dan. Their latest episode is really good. They did an episode on their experience going to Hollywood, watching the premiere of Star Trek Picard. So really, they got to see the first three episodes, and that was apparently a surprise to them. They thought they were just going to see the pilot, so that was pretty awesome for them. And they covered all of it in this latest episode at the time of this recording, but they do so many episodes. You never know, there might be five more by the time this comes out. But because they're fancy people, they get to do fancy things like, oh, we went to the premiere because we are here down in our lower decks, just running our own little weird uh, corner. We will be doing uh, a, a review slash analysis of the end is the beginning and just so you know, you can, if, if this is one that you like and you would like to check out another review slash analysis from a different perspective, there used to be a guy on the show named Barry DeFord. He used to be the co-host. He has now moved on to better things. I'm kidding. He's still around. He's just, he has caught up with life stuff. Uh, as I, I won't get into it too, into it too much, but he is doing Picard Live, which is another Trek Geeks podcast slash videocast, if you're catching it live. I believe it's live on Sunday at 8 p.m. Eastern time. And they, he goes live on Facebook and YouTube. And I, I'm usually on that YouTube live stream as well, watching and cheering him on. And if you would like to do that, make sure you join him there. You can listen to an audio-only version of that show. I believe it drops the day after usually. So Sunday, Monday. And there is Trek Rewind which is uh, Haley and Sarah just talking about uh, Trek. And I wouldn't say goofballs. They're amusing, wonderful women. Uh, it's like Trek geeks, but if they actually tried and cared, that's what Trek Rewind sounds like. <laughs> and uh, then you have the five-year mission podcast. Just so many exciting things coming in the bag. Uh, so many exciting things in the bag and so many exciting things to come. But we are a proud member of that network. We're also sponsored by Fansets. Later in the show, I will do a very subtle, not at all expected plug of the discount code that is available and exclusive just to our show. So make sure you're on the lookout. Or I guess when you're listening, you'd be like on the listen out. So make sure you're on the listen out. Anyway, before we jump in, I have my wonderful co-host joining me today, our guest host for this series. I will introduce her here in a minute, but 
I am sorry that some people might have been bothered by this, but just so you know, I I did not state it in the last couple of episodes, but I will now just to be sure. This is a spoiler-filled review slash analysis. We get deep into the spoilers, so if you have not seen the episode, make sure you go watch the episode, then come back and listen to us. All right, now let's jump into the main section of the show. Hey, welcome back. Thanks for sticking around. I am excited to talk to you today about the end is the beginning, but I couldn't do it on my own. Much like Picard, who has to go out and find a ship and a crew to help him because he's too old and crummy and weak. He needs strong young people. Well, I say that with love. He is old and crummy and weak, and he admitted to it just as much. Uh, but he needs what the point is. He needs young, energetic people around him to help him through that journey. And helping me through this journey is a young, energetic lady, Ali Martinez. Ali Martinez, how are you, my friend? I'm doing very well. I'm super excited to be back again to chat about Picard. Any time that I get a chance to talk about Star Trek, and especially with you, so I'm super pumped. I am. You have no idea how excited I am. I have so many questions for you this episode because there are some specific things that I was like, you know, I think Ali will have an interesting perspective on this. I know you only got to see the episode once because of your schedule this week, but. Hopefully, I can remind you of some of those things and uh, get your insights on them. Mm-hmm. But before we jump into it, uh, you can follow us on the social medias on at Polytrex and at Trek Geeks, and there is a Facebook group. I hear is it called Camp Kitomer? Mm-hmm. And just I'm not on Facebook, which is why I had to ask my <laughs> guest host. Uh, but. Lots of exciting places for you to find us on social media. You know, we will tell you our thoughts on this episode, but I love hearing from you. What did you think of the episode? What did, what do you think of the show so far? Who are some of your favorite characters? Who are characters where you're like, eh, maybe I could do without that character? Just tell us. Tell us on at Polytrex. Tell us on the Facebook page, on the Facebook group. And hey, do me a favor, please send Barry Deford some love. He's busy dealing with live stuff, as I alluded to earlier. He's also on the social medias, and make sure you can support him on Picard Live. Okay, now I have done enough boilerplate for five episodes. <laughs> this time I made notes, so I was like, I need to keep this structured. All right, Ali. Before we jump into the scene by scene, what did you think of the episode overall? I liked it. I am going to say one thing though before we start getting into it. I think that this episode moved at. A thousand miles an hour. Not necessarily a bad thing, but there was a lot of information to soak up and a lot of interactions with new characters, getting to learn about also characters that we've seen from the beginning, getting to learn a little bit more. It really just was a joy ride for me, I think. That is wonderful. I also quite liked it. I did not love it. The pilot still remains my favorite episode, Remembrance. And of the three, I might have liked this one the least. That's not in any way saying something bad. It's like saying of the three cheesecakes that <laughs> fell from heaven, I like this one the least. Like they're all still cheesecakes that fell from heaven, right? Mm-hmm. So I am 
I still like I like the episode quite a bit. Like you, yes, I did feel like it ran a little fast. I feel like uh, in the past couple of episodes, they used some time to breathe. There was no time to breathe in this episode. They were like, "Get to A, B, C, D, E. We need to cover everything we can before the engage happens." And mm-hmm. he, they go away. I wish they could have spent some time in the past couple of episodes taking some things out. maybe at least a couple of things out and throwing them in here so it didn't feel so heavy yeah i think that they one part of it for me though is that the scenes like the individual scenes that we move through i won't spoil anything if they don't want spoilers yet but we would move from like with soji and then we move to be with picard and then we'd move to be somewhere else and it was just like back to back to back to back and I mean it's understandable that all these things are happening at the same time and Star Trek has done that before where there's obviously subplots happening but I just thought it was like we got like 2 minutes of this and then it was 2 minutes of that and then it was 2 minutes of that and I was like hold up a little bit give me some time to like process what's going on cuz there also in this episode I feel like there's a lot of more of that techno babble we were talking about last week where I was like oh how does this connect what does this even mean But that's like what's interesting too is that we'll find out more over the episodes. But I did think that the moving from scene to scene to scene so quickly was a little bit too fast. They could have spent a little more time so I could have enjoyed all this information that's coming at me instead of just being like, "Wait, rewind. What just happened?" Uh what I I do agree and Well I have thoughts and let's get into them. So the episode starts with again like a recap slash oh this is what's been happening. But the actual episode starts with a montage of the attack on Utopia Planitia. Mm-hmm. And then we go to Earth in 2385 with Musikur and Picard both of them presumably just having discovered that there was an attack on Mars. Uh What did you think of the uniforms? These for those of you unfamiliar, I'm so sorry for banging my comic drum, but we did see these uniforms in Star Trek Countdown. So it's a continuation of those uniforms. For me, I've seen them on comic form now I get to see them on screen, but for a lot of people, I'm assuming this is the first time they're like, "Oh my god, the uniforms are back." What did you think of the uniforms? What did you think of that scene? Give us your thoughts. I think the uniforms look really nice. I think that they're very reminiscent of It's like the mixture between the TNG jumpsuit and the Voyager jumpsuit. It's kind of like a combination of that. And it seems so fitting for the era that it's in. And also, I have to figure out how to make it so I can cosplay it now. <laughs> also the same with uh the uniforms that we see not just the 14 year like flashback, but the new ones that we see. There's been if you zoom in, you'll notice like what Commodore O is wearing. There's little tiny deltas on like the yellow or the different colors of the um like the current time period uniforms and that is going to be ridiculous for anyone that's trying to make it. So best of luck for all of them. <laughs> But in overall this scene really introduces Musker to me for the first time because I didn't have a chance to read the comics. Um and I got just a little tiny bit of her in the last the end of the last episode. So, I think it's really interesting that like you mentioned that she calls Jean-Luc JL and it's very informal, but I think it's all right because their relationship shows that they're still very close 
and willing to open up to each other as Picard does with his bridge crew that we see on TNG. So I really, really liked it. And it's also very evident that when he is explaining about the situation that's happened on Utopia Planitia and their plan for the rescue of the Romulans and then him saying, you know, they they didn't agree with me and so I threw out, kind of threw out an ultimatum. I don't know if I'm getting ahead of myself here, but she completely is like, the whole time when he's explaining it, we're starting, it gets darker and darker and darker. And then she, he says that he threw out, I'll resign if you don't accept this like revised plan. And then she sits there and she, I feel like she already knows the answer, but yet she asks it anyways, because I mean, I don't know, just to hear Picard say it with his own mouth and just to see her face. And then at the end of the scene too, where we find out that she is taking the fall for some of this, it just broke my heart because it's not her fault. It's not Picard's fault either. Starfleet's choosing not to act. And that is so un-Starfleet. And Picard says as much. He says, I cannot believe that Starfleet is giving in to intolerance. One interesting thing I noticed, what he said is very valid, and those are great thoughts. One little thing, because I am silly. I noticed, uh, Musiker says, oh, do you know what happened? They said it's a fatal code error. Do you get the cleverness of the, of the wording there? What's uh, the name of the Android that starts? F eight. <laughs> oh yeah, you're right. I didn't right? notice that. <laughs> uh, I'm. I bet it was on purpose. I'm sure they thought it through and they're like, "Let's call it a fatal code error." Mm. And it's so vague and very U.S. government sounding. Like it's like those are the things that they say. Oh, there was a malfunction and something happened. It's like a very non-answered <laughs> answer. And Musica says, "Yeah, that's BS. I can't believe it." I liked also the fact that they jumped from this scene to the next scene where they're similar they're the same two people talking to each other in very different contexts but in the first scene Picard is essentially well you can say whatever you I think he's giving up he's saying I don't want any part of this and in the the next time we see him he is giving himself into it there is the acceptance of loss, and then there is the decision to start something new. And it's very interesting that both of them have to do with androids. And we don't know yet if they're really connected. We, I'm sure we'll find out what exactly happened. And I liked, did you notice how Musiker instinctually knew there was Tal Shiar when... I know you only saw it once, so I'll, yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll remind you. She says in it, she's like, you know, I, what they're saying is BS. That's not true. The fatal code error thing. I suspect it's Tal Shia. And mm. then they talk a little bit about the supernova, but I like that she is so smart and so instinctual. She immediately connected the dots between the supernova and then the destruction that happened on Utopia Planitia. Yeah, she mentions, well, Picard kind of rebuts with like, well, why are why would Romulans attack their own people? But she says something like, well, what is what is a part of every single cover-up ever? That So then it, it kind of opens his eyes a little bit, which is weird because like, I mean, it's assumed that Picard has a lot more experience with the Tal Shiar than Musiker does. But I mean, I don't know her entire backstory. So something must have happened or information must have come her way that would really prove 
or really make her think or be against the tall Shiar, as if anyone wouldn't be against them anyways. <laughs> you might have noticed, or maybe not, did you like the de-aging on Picard in this scene? I did notice, yes. I thought it was very subtle. It wasn't mm-hmm. um, something that I had to be like, oh, like I noticed it subtly, but I didn't have to like... I guess the best way to explain it is it wasn't out of place. Mm-hmm. It felt very natural. Yes. It was, to me, it felt like the nemesis Picard. Yeah. He's not He's not really where he is in, in the show Picard, but that's the Picard we see nemesis where he, you can notice, you know, he's older than when we saw him in TNG, but he was in his late 40s when he started TNG, mm-hmm. or at least early 40s, mid 40s, somewhere around there, 40s. So you can tell that he's aging, but I like that the de-aging, yes, was very subtle. And I appreciated that. It's better than some of the crappy CGI we've seen Patrick Stewart in <laughs> X-Men 3. <laughs> uh, anyway, so now we go to the present in Vasquez Rocks. And this time, like I was talking about earlier, it's a similar scene. But Picard is asking the same person who he told I'm giving up to help him do something. And we learn a lot about Musikar in this one scene. I thought it was a very powerful scene. She talks about her addiction did I hear that right? Was it snake leaf? That's what I have down. So I think that's and right. I'm assuming snake leaf is the the same plant she was watering and taking stuff out of. Mm-hmm. She took like that petal out and put it in her yes. like vape pen, whatever it yes, was. <laughs> yes, indeed. And so, yeah, I heard that it was snake leaf induced paranoia. And she talks about how she lost her security clearance. It's basically a scene similar to what we saw with him and Clancy in episode two but it has a very different tone it's not a superior telling um, someone that used to work for her it's a friend and in some ways someone who looked up to him as a father a brother a really dear male figure and then it's her expressing the amount of loss she felt when he left and the fact that he hasn't kept up with her That, it strangely feels in character of Picard that he would not keep up with these people because that's the kind of person he is. Anything that requires him having to engage, no pun intended, on a personal, like a deeply personal level, he's he's the first person to run away from something like that. He will do everything he can if you're at work and you're a work friend and it needs you being there. But things like this, like keeping up with people after things are over. That felt really in character to me. And the show is neat. It's definitely going down the road of, we need to completely take Picard down before we can build him up. And uh, this is not an original thought. This was said on the Star Trek Picard podcast, where I think it was episode two or somewhere where they were like, you know, we want Picard to be taken down. So when we build back up, it feels like a journey. It's like Rocky Balboa. You know, it's like you've gone down. Now you're trying to get back up. And that's kind of where the things things are starting to look up. But so in this scene, I had a question. What did you think of the way she was talking about her addiction, 
the things that she was expressing, her relationship to Picard. What did you think of all that? I thought it was all very heartbreaking. And like you said, I feel like the hardest part for me is that I agree with you in, in what you said about it is kind of akin to what we've seen from Picard in the past. But my heart didn't want it to be that way. Because of course, you'd want to imagine that Picard would have at least done something for her. Uh, she does mention something about him living in his nice, like, cozy chateau vineyard, and she's in a trailer at Vasquez Rocks. And you just see, I feel like Michelle Hurd is an, um, such an amazing actor. She shows, like, you don't just see it in her, like, the way she's expressing the words, but you, like, see it in her face. I feel like it progressively gets, like, you see the pain in her face when she talks about it, which I feel like Picard, when they announce the show and when they've talked about what they want Picard to be, it wants they want it to reflect what's happening today, reflect the circumstances of issues that are plaguing our society right now. And addiction is one of them. And I find it very poignant that in in the way that she expressed what kind of caused her to go down that road. And it's not it's not expressly because of Picard, but I want to imagine he could have done something about it. But we see even in TNG, Deanna talks to him many times about how he needs to be like more open and communicative with his fellow officers in something that doesn't involve running a ship. And we see that he doesn't, he expressly does the opposite in regards to Musiker. So I, I don't know, this scene was really powerful. And it showed just to, the connections between Musiker and Picard, it wasn't just like, oh, two coworkers, like you said, talking together. It wasn't just like, oh, well, here was the mission and here's what happened. She expressed genuine hurt on, on a level because she trusted him and she cared about him and their relationship was important. And then it turned into nothing. That That's awful. I did appreciate that they didn't shy away from showing something like this. Yeah. And where in the past, I forget which episode, but they do talk about smoking in... I want to say, I do know they talk about smoking in the DS9 episode where Ferengis go to Earth. You remember that episode? Oh, yeah. And, yeah. And Nog says something like, uh, rest in peace, Aaron Eisenberg. Nog says something like, tobacco is this terrible substance. You know, it's addictive. And, but we don't know about it in our future society because people have outgrown it. But clearly, there are still people who deal with things like this. It's specifically snake leaf induced paranoia i think is an allusion to something like that and we'll talk about some more smoking that happens later in the scene not just how smoking heart rehearses but the smoking that he does but anyway now no, not on to happier things we'll come back to this scene here in a little bit but i was really happy because now we jump to the artifact and as we go into the artifact we see hugh my god how cool was hugh uh, oh my let, just just yeah let's just talk about hugh and i don't know what borg crystal infused fusion therapy he's doing to look that good at this age <laughs> but i will i would really like some of that jonathan Delarco, if you're listening please tell us what you're doing 
so we can do it too but hugh is back and he looks awesome i like his cosplay i love that <laughs> it's been 27 years since we last saw him it was descent the last time we saw him and it was in descent that he was you could tell that there were subtle changes to because he was coming back to he was not a borg anymore at least not one of the collective and he's doing his best to start that long road back to reclamation and we see that come full circle here he's mostly reclaimed there is still some borg on his face you can see the traces of his mask on his face too i really appreciated that part and he is really good i loved his acting i loved his screen presence he pulled it off you thought the if you ever thought you know behind the it's all about the borg costume this is living proof that the second time because we kind of saw that with 7 of 9 this is living proof that those actors are doing so much more than what the costume is doing like the costume pulls you in and then the actors keep you engaged and this time hugh with that minimalist costume still hashtag cosplay goals i loved his costume and he looks great so what did you think of hugh coming back we'll talk about the actual scene but just brag on hugh ali Oh my gosh. So I could brag for quite a long time. So if you've ever listened to my Trek Profiles interview, one of my favorite Star Trek episodes is Iborg. So this was awesome for me. And you had already seen um, last time that we talked and recorded that little like preview of this week, but I didn't get a chance to see it because I can't watch Ready Room. So just getting to see him walk in because you see him through the mirror. That's when you see him first looking at Soji. Uh, speaking in the uh, native language of the uh, nameless, or we'll get into more of that later, but oh my gosh. So I really appreciated the fact that I feel like the way, not just because he was a character that was brought to life by Jonathan Del Arco, but I feel like it's how I wanted Hugh to be because I imagined after, I mean, after we see in Descent, like, well, he was going to be moving back towards his humanity. And it's everything I wanted it to be. He has this like charisma, he has this kindness to him, and he also has this like incredible leadership presence, which is like, oh, that's just everything that I wanted from him. And yes, the costume is great. It doesn't have to be flashy, and I like that it doesn't have to be flashy. And like you said with the makeup or the prosthetics or all that stuff, I think it was so appropriate because it shows... Uh, even with Seven, like her still having the the stuff around her eyes, it it shows like what they've gone through as well. Because of course, I'm sure that we'd want them to be able to remove all of it if they could, but it still is a reminder of everything that they went through and how they overcame that, which is an incredible thing for a person to do. I absolutely loved it. Absolutely loved it. So I I just have because I have an awesome cosplayer I do have to point out. So Picard becomes Locutus, right? Mm-hmm. And then, if I remember correctly, he's brought back into his Picard form by Doctor Crusher. Yes. Or Doctor Crusher on the ship with her crew and everyone. Mm-hmm. I wish these people got to spend some time with Doctor Crusher so she could take care of all of it, and not just the little bit and leave little bits because Seven of Nine has a thing, and. now you we see has a few things he has this part and the i said this part <laughs> at least i wouldn't know what that is <laughs> the part <laughs> the part on his left eye and then the little part on his right jawline mm-hmm. right there 
I wish they could spend some time with Dr. Tashir so she could take care of it. But oh well. Anyway, so I I really like this scene. I love that Hugh is back and he is talking to sub. He's talking to a character in a very. This is weird to say, but he in a very human way. Mm-hmm. And I never thought that I, I would see that. If you've lived long enough to know the arc of you now. I, it's very poetic and I really enjoyed it. And not only is he talking in a very human way to someone, he's expressing some deep, valuable thoughts that, you know, you if he didn't have the makeup and stuff on, you couldn't tell he wasn't once part of the board collective. Mm-hmm. And that was really cool. Now, the conversation itself, I noticed a few things. Uh, he talks to Soji and he expresses admiration that she was talking to one of the nameless in their own language. And then he tells her that his in, her interview request with Ramda or Ramda has been granted. And she mentioned something about a Borg dossier or a Romulan dossier. And I do remember that. Yeah. And he says, well, I've never read it. How, how did you read it? Uh, the, essentially, the Romulan dossier, I'm assuming, is like a file that is kept on all the people that were once claimed by the Borg and now they're trying to unclaim them and may, turn them back into uh, non-Borg people. So she says something. So he mentions, wait, there is a Romulan dossier, but I've never read it. Have you read it? And then she says, yeah, I just asked for it and people gave it to me. Was there a hint at like her having telepathic or empathic powers to convince people to do things for her? Or am I looking into that too much? I'm not sure. I think the way I took it, because uh, there's another scene that we'll get to in a little bit where something not necessarily similar, but somewhat like it happens. And it's her mentioning something or saying she knows something or talking about something and then afterwards they say well how how did you know that and she just says I don't know like I must have read it somewhere or I must have picked it up somewhere so I thought it was more of like showing that she is an android and she has like would somehow be able to have found this information but then not remembered it because her brain is trying to convince her that she's not an android because she's not aware of it so I wonder, her accessing this information is not something that she's consciously aware of. So I'm not sure. It could be. That'd be really interesting if she did have telepathic abilities, though. Now, to talk about that a little bit more, are those on the artifact aware of everything that happened or is happening on the planets that are not that artifact? Or... Like, would she know that there was a Utopia Planitia attack and that they might be back and all that? Or is that something she's, is that, you think, is that in her sense of awareness? I'm not sure. I think it would depend on, because she has the ability to contact people from the outside, or we assume that she does because there is a scene later where she does contact her mom or a person that might be her mom or someone who's made up, but... Mm -hmm. It's it's assumed because she's also been in contact with with Dodge when Dodge was alive because they had those records in the the past episode of them communicating with each other. I don't know. Do you think it would be I mean you think it'd be pertinent information to not just like the Federation but literally the entire galaxy. 
So I'm not sure. Well, I ask because you're right. Most people would know, but she's also on a Romulan artifact. Mm-hmm. And we don't know the way they get information and the way they process it. You know, she's a, she's a doctor or a researcher. And she is, so of course she has gone to, I'm assuming like some kind of college where they taught these things. But again, we don't know a lot of that background. So I was wondering if she does know that there might be the presence of androids coming back. And there is such a big conversation about androids. That was pretty curious to me. So yes, you're right. I, I don't have the answer to that question either. I don't know how she just knows things or how she could just read that dossier. That was pretty uh, curious to me. I have another question or more like a pondering. You would think that after everything that he went through, he would try to seek out Jordi or Data or someone in Starfleet. I found it very curious that he's working with the Romulans. I wondered what happened. What do you think? Uh, well, correct me if I'm wrong, but I do believe there was like a portion of the episode. I don't remember who it was that said it. Something about when everything happened at Utopia Planitia that there obviously was a lot of contempt within the Starfleet and the Federation to work with any type of beings that had, um, I mean, not just the synthetics, but like machinery, I suppose, machines. And so that could have carried over, not just with the fact that the Borg have done, I mean, terrible things to the Federation, but it's a wonder to me that the Federation would not take up something like this as well, or to try to reclaim the Borg, or if they were just um, after what happened on Mars, that, oh, well, it's not worth it, or they're not worth saving, which is t- would be terrible, of course. But I, I don't know. I think it's a really tough question. I, and I don't mean to put you in the spot. Those, those are just things I was wondering about. And to, if I could allude it to something in the real world, I feel like with all the restrictions that America is placing on immigration, mm-hmm. they're losing out on some really valuable members of the workforce, people who would have had those restrictions not been here, gone on to start big tech companies and invent things that now China is taking over and Russia is taking over some of that and other countries are jumping on it and Canada is getting some of that. It's very interesting to me. That was a kind of a metaphor or a something that I felt similar to, I'm assuming, with something like that. Mm-hmm. You must have actually seek them out and then they must have said, you know, we really can't help you. And then now we still don't know how the Romulans know how to unclaim the Borg, how to bring them back. But I'm assuming they helped him out. And he was like, you know, I'm discovering myself. You help me out and I'm going to stick around and see what I can do. Yeah. Uh, now, yeah, that that was pretty, pretty interesting to me. Anyway, so uh, we find out that her interview request with Ramda has been granted. And then we go back to the Vasquez rocks where we see that Essentially, Musica gets so mad, she just walks, st- stands up and walks away and then Picard follows her. And he's like, I know it's been hard, but you know, this is happening. And this is the scope of what's really happening. And I know that we have our problems, but we need to figure it out. And she's like, just go, I can't, just go. And then as he's walking away, she says, uh, you know, I know, a, I know a guy. And she gives him the info of Rios. What did you think of that scene? I thought... Uh, I don't know. I, I thought it was a good scene and I 
I wish she had gone all the way and just not helped him at all, forced mm-hmm. him to find another place. But you know, she's still Starfleet. There is some inherent good there, and I, I guess I can kind of see that and relate to it. What did you think of that scene? Yeah, uh, I was kind of the same way. Where at first I was wondering if she actually would have what, like, let him walk away with nothing. But I also think that we see this many times. It must be really hard to say no to Jean Luc Picard. <laughs> I can't imagine. I mean, if he asked me for anything, I would probably say yes. But it's it's also because Picard is so grounded in his values and what he believes is right. And she has had experience working with him and getting to pick up on his little, like on his values and on what he believes. So I, I'm assuming she f- feels somewhat in the same way like you said she is starfleet it's not like she's completely rejected everything even when you are in a bad place that doesn't mean that you completely lose yourself so i think that i mean of course she wanted to she wanted to help him out but she wanted to show him how much he hurt her and i hope that he realizes that that repercussions of of what he has done and we'll see now because um oh, i'm getting ahead of myself too much but we see that she's going to she's going to catch a ride as well so we'll see their, them interact a little bit more but yeah it must be so hard to say no to him and so that's why at the last second you know she just said just go just leave and then he starts to walk away and she's like hold up I've got someone for you. Well, so in the conversation, Picard compliments her on something that I complimented her on earlier. Where he's like, you know, you said it was the Tal Shiar. You're kind of right. It is the Tal Shiar, but it's a whole new thing. It's actually the Jatwash. And then she's like, you know, I don't know how I know that, but <clears throat> sorry, I don't know how I know that, but I just kind of put the pieces together. I'm not someone who, you know can see things like people see angels or ghosts again me being silly and looking into things so much but we know some people can see angels season 2 star trek discovery we all <laughs> saw the red angel and there was i i don't know if that was a nod or a reference or something but that was pretty cool anyway from so, from so that scene we go to the daystom institute on okinawa where i have to make some connections before i jump into it in the last episode i was remarking in our okinawa scene that oh this is where one of my favorite movies karate kid part 2 was shot <laughs> and t- to be honest i know this i don't know why i said it karate kid 2 was not actually shot in okinawa it was shot in hawaii but the film is located in hawaii uh, okinawa so everything you're seeing is supposed to be okinawa and i was like i i don't know again why i said it i was like you know this is nothing to do with this episode but turns out bill listened to this episode and he said you know you say that but do you know that there is a karate kid to lead the female lead is in startup kid i was like what are you talking about and then he's like yeah commodore o is komiko uh, and you guys i have seen karate kid do hundreds of times i've seen it when i've been sad i've seen it when i was happy i've seen it half asleep i've seen it fully awake is this is complete props to the prosthetic and makeup team i had no idea that was stamina to meter unless until bill sort and told me so that was something i had to put out there anyway we will talk a little bit more about comedy oh so we see 
we go to Daystam Institute Okinawa where we see Agnes Shirati listening to classical music. Is that a music that's from Trek Lore? I was it something that was played on TNG or something? Um, I actually was wondering because it it sounded very much like opera. So I was wondering if it was like a callback to the EMH with the Doctor and Voyager with his love of opera. Because to me, I don't know if it sounded. We hear uh, Cassalian or Cassalian Cassalian opera in Discovery, and that yes. sounds a little bit different. So I don't know that it was that, but it was a reference to opera, which I really liked. Anyway, so she is listening to opera while in the back, just Commodore O appears wearing sunglasses because I'm sure it's really sunny in Okinawa or there are people with sensitive eyes from another universe that need to keep their eyes protected. Oh, So I don't know if that's a, it, it, see, it feels like when you show two people and one of them wearing glasses, even though she's clearly in the shade and much less lit than Jurati who's not wearing glasses but instead is enjoying the scene. I don't know. I don't know what they're referencing to, but the fact that she has her sunglasses on, very suspect, but essentially she shows up and says, hey, I need to talk to you about some of these things that are going on with Picard. So what did you think of that scene? I thought it was very interesting. Again, shout out to Kumiko for coming back. And you guys, I will do better about catching these things. I was so stupid. I, and it was not even stupid. It was just the makeup team is so amazing. I had no idea. You can actually like Google a picture of Kumiko and then Commodore O, there's no way you can look at both of them and go, oh yeah, that's the same person, unless you had some kind of reference. It's just that makeup completely makes sure that she disappears. What did you think of that scene? I really, really liked it. So uh, first of all, I will say that the when they pan over, it says they have the credits at the bottom that says Daystrom Institute Okinawa and they pan over and she's sitting in the grass and there's trees and stuff. Uh, the Okinawa doesn't very much look like that. Um, it's very much tropical and a lot of like overgrown stuff. Uh, and how would you know that, Ali? Because I live in Okinawa currently. <laughs> there's also hardly, uh, there are some like park areas, but a lot of it is roads and buildings um but there also are like outlying islands on okinawa so perhaps the daystrom institute is there i have not been to them yet i will have to go and search for it <laughs> but i will say that there has been a lot of um i guess conversation about the sunglasses there's a lot of people that like you said are wondering why she would need them uh, because vulcans have a inner eyelid in which they don't need sunglasses. Paul mentioned something about that in Enterprise, if I am not mistaken. Uh, and so that made me scratch my head a little bit because like you said, if she might have been walking in the sun to this shaded area, but if it was shady, would she not take them off to talk with her? I'm not sure. Uh, I also, I've really enjoyed Dr. Girardi so far, what we've seen from her. Um, shout out to Scott Pilgrim versus the world. Uh, my uh, I Shout out to the newsroom. Yeah, <laughs> and the newsroom too. Uh, but uh, currently the, the place where I work um, is at a teen center and the kids have been watching Scott Pilgrim lately, like four times in a row. So I've been seeing a lot of her lately. But what I'll say is I think... Not just from this scene, because I, f I feel like we see more from, we do see more from Gerardi later, 
but I have been somewhat suspicious about her from the beginning. So I'll get a little bit more into that later. But I'm not, I don't, she might be playing both sides. I don't know. We'll see. I think that there's more from her than we we know. I think she also knows more about Maddox than we know. We're going to see more about that later. I really liked this scene, though. It was very, uh, that's what you'd think something like her would be doing. We don't really see that a lot in Star Trek. We see them more often doing their duty rather than their off time. That's why I love the episodes where we get to see them. Oh, they're on a break listening to some music, sitting on this cliff overlooking this. And that's so very human. And so I'm glad we got to see that. All I'm saying is in episode one, we see everything happen that happened on Utopia Planitia. And then we see the androids kind of coming back and becoming a big story. And then we see this character who happens to know so much about androids. And she has this connection with Picard. And she's she has worked on this kind of research that only Bruce Maddox would have access to. So I'm not saying this is Star Wars, but is she his daughter? Or someone who might be closely associated to him, like a protege. We'll talk more about that, like you said, because I have some theories that I want to share with you too. Anyway, so from that scene, we go back to the artifact where we see Hugh and Soji walk up to a security person and they're like, hey, I need to, he needs, she needs to see Ramda. And he's like, well, I need authority. And then that's where he declares, connecting my theory from last episode, that he is the director mm-hmm. of, that, of that cube of the artifact. So I'm sorry, Ali. I didn't mean to jump in and ruin your theory, but... <laughs> it's okay. I'm happy to be wrong. Anyway, so we go in and we see what they call the disordered. So people who are now unclaimed from the Borg and they're, you can tell that they're dealing with mental issues. It was like going into an asylum, like a mental asylum. And it was a, it was a scene in which they were showing them writing on walls and one person was playing with it like a Romulan version of a Rubik's Cube. Come on, QMX, get on it. Make me that Rubik's Cube. I would like to buy it, please. And you know what I really appreciated in the scene right off the bat? Brown Romulans. Yes. Lots of brown Romulans. I was we like, yes, my that. people. Yes. It worked. Totally worked. Hashtag, Hashtag. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag justice for brown Romulans. <laughs> Finally. and uh, I'm glad they showed them and they didn't shy away again from like being oh they're the disordered and they're people who deal with it if people remember you see something similar happened to spock in season two of discovery where he's he's isolated and he's also writing on walls so i don't know if it was a connection but the rooms look very similar if you go back to look at the spark room it's basically just white and then white lights and then walls and then this room looked very similar to me but before we get into the ram the of it all, what did you think of the scene? I really liked it. Uh, I I guess I'm going to get a little bit personal here, if that's okay with you. Um, there was a point in which my grandmother was in a um, mental health care unit when I was younger. And so we went to visit her and I... Um, this is, I guess, not hard to talk about, but I saw a lot of, I mean, similarities. So what we see with Ramda, with her using um, those, I don't want to say puzzle pieces, tarot cards, whatever they were exactly. Um, Cause Soji, I believe they're point, called 
they're called the pak meat. Oh yeah, was, she does yes, talk was, about that. Yeah, it's they they're like Romulan tarot cards. Mm -hmm. Yes. And so I found that very interesting because a lot of um the people that my grandmother was interacting with also were kind of found order in doing like puzzles. There were a lot of puzzles around. That's why when they show the Rubik's cube and those those cards, I thought it was really interesting. And I think that what's cool is that we saw before we actually move into what we know is going to be them sitting down with her and talking with her about it. We did get to see instead of just assuming that there's a bunch of other people in the room that also are having um, issues that they actually like you get to see some of them individually what what they're doing before we move in, which I think is important because. Well, she mentions that they're all Romulans. You walk in and you see that they're all Romulans. And they're all finding that sense of they all have they're all doing something different. They're not all sitting down with the exact same thing, doing the exact same thing. So it's showing that they're finding an outlet in different areas, which I just think is interesting. I don't know. I guess I could go more into it, but it's please um, go into it we, we i would love to listen to it if you're willing to share i'm more than happy to listen yeah um i there were also in the room there were people that were like watching them that we see and it's hard because in this situation it doesn't seem like any of them are particularly working with someone that they're all kind of the guard guards i don't know what i would call them they're standing around watching them uh, but there's no one in the room currently facilitating what they're doing or working on something with them, which I may have just been because at the time they walked in, that wasn't happening. But I wonder what or if they're working like the programs that they are doing with them. Because when Hugh, when they walk in, Hugh says at some point, I believe this is a little bit later, but he mentions they have good days and they have bad days. Or um, Ramda has good days and bad days. So it's assumed that there is some sort of therapist working with them. I would be more interested in learning about what's happening there. But I can't have everything. They can't put give me everything. I wish they could. Uh, but I just found kind of interesting parallels from walking in there and being able to see them and then me remembering like from my childhood of visiting my grandma at the um the mental health unit that she was in so thank you for sharing that ali i yeah it's a it was a difficult scene for sure i found it very interesting that they separated the romulans to just keep them by themselves yeah which i have two theories it could either be that they're treating everybody the same and they're doing their best to save everyone and they're trying to keep different kinds of people together because I am assuming that the bot technology reacts differently with different people and maybe not everybody needs the amount of help that Romulans might need or it might be in the Romulans interest to only um, save or at least go out of their way to save and make sure the Romulans can be unclaimed and brought back to the current world i don't know it's a it was an interesting situation hopefully in the future we'll see some other people that are unclaimed well we do see seven of nine and hugh that's not what i'm talking about i'm talking about people in the artifact that have been unclaimed or reclaimed back from the board and so before we get into the action around the conversation we go to the starship which is 
if I remember correctly, the name of the ship that Rios runs is La Siena. And it was just like mentioned somewhere. They don't mention it on the episode. I'm sure they will in the future. But it was like, a, like I don't know if it was like Nobel or somewhere on there they wrote like it was La Siena. I, the, I believe it's La Siena. So anyway, we go to see Rios. Shirtless Rios just tone up with a titanium thing in his arm, just embarrassing the rest of us with the way he looks. And okay, I will work out. All right. I am working out. I'm getting there. <laughs> I will get Just stop. I get it. I know. I know. I get it. Stop. Anyway, so he is working with his EMH, which like is a really cool callback to the doctor. And so uh, Picard shows up there and he says, hey, you know, Musa could connect me. Do you think you can take me to ABC? And then, you know, it's kind of a... Uh, back and forth because you can tell Rios is not really excited to see him or if he is he's not showing it but he's kind of nonchalant he's like hey what's going on and then while they're working to get that out uh, did you notice that the EMH has a Canadian accent or yes the the first one yes yeah <laughs> and so there's a this is the EMH which is the medical hologram and then later we see the ENH so guys, if you're wondering why there are two different accents, one of them is the medical hologram. One of them is the navigational hologram. Anyway, so Picard gets on the ship and he's like, you know, I'm working on it. I'm working on figuring out where we need to go. I don't know yet, but I need to hire you so we can go find these people. And then they talk a little bit about each other's pasts. And Picard mentions you used to be the EXO on a cruiser named Eben Majit. And we don't know what Eben Majit is. And EXO is like first officer and I, he does allude to another captain and he's like i used to have this grand heroic captain and we'll talk about that a little bit later but i found it interesting that he found a book called the tragic sense of life mm-hmm. uh, and then he mentions that book and saying oh this is my tragic sense of life that i have to keep my ship clean and that they have two that's two different definitions of starfleet one of them saw like the best side of Starfleet, right? Picard saw the best, the, he is the best of Starfleet. And he also saw the best and the most heroic version of Starfleet. Here, Rios has seen a different side of Starfleet. He used to be on a cruiser. We don't know what exactly happened, but clearly things didn't go well. But the fact that Starfleet beats it into you, not like physically beats it into you, but metaphorically pushes that discipline. I thought that was a good connection to the way the military works. Different people have different experiences with the military, and you can talk more about that, Ali. But from my understanding, there are some things that you just get used to, like working out and waking up early and talking a certain way, looking at things a certain way. They're just, those are the tragic senses of life that you put into your life when you go into the military and you retire or uh, you're discharged from the military. So what did you think of that scene? What did you think of Rios's cleanliness on the ship and his need to have so many holograms, the discipline? Talk about it. So I thought it was interesting that both of the holograms were based off of himself. So I'm wondering if that is something in in the future where you can program what you'd like the hologram to look like rather than being issued one that's, I mean, like the EMH on Voyager, which is based off Zimmerman. So I think that's interesting that he would even choose to model it after himself because I don't know that I'd want to be talking with myself at any point. (laughs) 
I, um, I'm sure everyone that has to talk to me gets enough of me that way. But I thought I love the differences in the accents. I love that we're getting to hear a lot more, um, like the, not just the languages, cause we're hearing Soji speak different languages, but we're getting to hear, uh, different parts of, I mean, I don't want to say English cause in, I mean, in Star Wars, they call it the common tongue and in Star Trek, they call it something else. And, um, who knows if they're actually speaking because the way the universal translator works in Star Trek, it's, um, are they actually speaking English or is it translating it into English etc. Et but I really like that we're getting to see a lot of different types of accents because uh, there's lots of different types of people and that's what Star Trek is all about. I think that Rios is kind of, <laughs> I heard it termed on Twitter like the, the, the Star Trek space hottie, <laughs> which is interesting. Uh, I like that he tries to kind of play off that he is like a deviant, that he is a little bit kind of um, rebellious, I guess is the word I would say. And yet we don't really know much about his past or what he's done. So what do we have to base that that off of other than the way he's his personality, the way he's expressing himself? And he tries to do that to Picard and Picard calls him out on it. He says, well, yeah, you might try to be throwing out this at me, but I'm looking around and I'm seeing all of this straight to the T Starfleet, right? And it takes, like, Rios pauses for a little bit because he's trying to think about what to say in that situation. I just think it's really interesting. Like you mentioned with the whole, like, parallels with the military. So I'll share a story that when you were saying that the military really reinforces their values with people. So when my husband, my husband is a, a Marine, for those of you that don't know, that's why we're stationed here in Okinawa. But when he came home from boot camp, the um, three months or 90 some days of training for the Marines, and he, they say that people come back like a different person after the training, which I think is true and also not true because he was the same person but had a lot of different values because when someone is screaming at you and making you memorize something and teaching you how to do all these things you need to know how to do straight through for 90 days from 24 hours a day someone's not going to be the same when they come back and so he stood up a little straighter uh, for the first few days after he got back, he would stand at the, the attention pose just because of habit, because he would have had to. And I'm like, it's okay, you can relax. <laughs> he would not speak till spoken to, all that stuff. I mean, that's not just him. I mean, that's with a lot of Marines, they'll tell you stories like that. But when Starfleet is kind of uh, expressed as not a militant organization, I mean, there are situations in which they have to deal with conflict, of course. But there are many times where we hear them say, you know, Starfleet is not expressly a military organization. We're based on exploration to still have, like you said, there are these still these values. Because when you go to Starfleet Academy, there are going to be things that you need to remember and you need to know. I think that that's why I love in um, Star Trek 2009, where we see that Academy scene. And that's why I want an Academy show so bad. And if... Um, Anyone from Star Trek is listening to this, uh, I would love to be in that show. Not that that would ever happen, but I really liked that they mentioned a little bit about uh, Starfleet doesn't just have values in like 
when they talk about exploration and peace and prosperity in the Federation that there's also like that inherent physical aspect of when you go through Starfleet Academy that there would be things that you would naturally want to do. Hey, thank you for sharing that. And I'm so sorry, Captain Pike, but your uh, space hottie title is now taken by us. <laughs> I guess the only way to come back from that is give us a Pike show, man. Hashtag Pike show. Hashtag Captain Pike. Hashtag Chair Out Tranks the Batch. And now I have a couple of questions for you. First thing is, uh, so if you could have your own emergency medical hologram, who would it be? Oh, gosh. Uh, that's a hard question to be put on the spot with. I would really... We only ask the hard-hitting questions here <laughs> on Polytrex. Just serious journalism. Uh, okay. Um, if it were someone that was going to heal me and I was, um, when I hurt myself or got hurt from someone else, as would happen in the Star Trek universe, I want to have someone with some good bedside manner. That would be friendly. Does it have to be a Star Trek character or can it be any character? Anyone, yeah. Oh, gosh. Uh, I had a doctor growing up that knew everything I asked her, never had to look anything up, was the most intelligent woman I think I've ever met. And um, she recently retired, and I, of course, moved, so she is no longer my doctor, but she would be my EMH. Very cool. That's a, that's a good choice. Hopefully, she listened to this episode can convince her to listen to this episode saying, hey, I gave you a shout out. And so is, okay, here's the next hard hitting serious question. Is the new space hottie for you, Rios, or who's your space hottie? I actually think that I'm gravitating more towards Narek. Nice. Uh, which is interesting because I saw someone, there are people debating on it over Twitter as all the space hottie debates go. Yes. <laughs> uh, and there's been kind of this like, ooh, with Picard, is it going to be Narek or is it going to be Rios? And there's some people that go either way. Some that are saying, well, I don't really get those good vibes from Narek because, of course, what we've seen from him so far. Uh, and then there's some that think that Rios is too straightforward and too much of like the Han Solo type, I guess is what I've heard lately. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I think I... I um, I'll talk about this later, but I think that uh, there's more from Narek than we see. So I'm gravitating towards him. Okay, well, my space hottie, still by a mile or by a light year, is uh, Tilly. That Uh, awkward nerdiness. I'm all about that awkward nerdiness. Anyway, getting on to some of the non-serious stuff. (laughs) Uh, So from that scene, we go to Rafi. Uh, She is looking at a UI, trying to figure things out, see what's going on, and then Picard calls her and he's like, hey, I'm going to send you everything I have. And he sends her everything he has on Maddox because he knows that even in spite of the way she treated him, she's looking into this because, again, that's her tragic sense of life. That's her Starfleet coming back. And then we jump to another scene where we go see Rafi, but she's playing with the UI and she finds a very curious thing that they make sure they point out. It's called the gone egg. I wonder what that is. I'm I don't sure. know. And the fact that there's a gone egg, if that's really a gone egg, that confirms that gone is not a mammal. And so they're not technically birds. They're more like flightless dinosaurs, I guess, which makes sense because dinosaurs also. Anyway, 
uh, and then they focus on this thing called free cloud, which we find out what free cloud is later. But uh, from that, it's it's a tiny scene. Is there anything you wanted to jump in and say about that? Do you do you know what the gone egg is that they're referring to? I don't. Uh... I can't imagine they would reference that and we wouldn't find out what it is. I would hope that they would. That's mm-hmm. like uh, um, in Last Skywalker where Poe's like, oh, Ray, I have something to tell you. And then we never figure out what he's going to tell her. Whatever. I'm not. This is not a Star Wars podcast. But no, uh, but no, that's a good point. Do, if you, do you know what he's trying to tell, to tell her? Did you ever figure it out? I'm assuming it's that he's force sensitive, right? Yes. Uh, okay. He mentions it in like, the actor, I forget his name now, but he mentions it, John Boyega, he mentions it in like a press conference where he's like, oh yeah, it's that he's force sensitive, but due to time there to cut it out. Then I was like, why didn't you cut the whole thing out? Anyway, I have so many problems with that movie. That's the <laughs> that's a uh, conversation for another time. Yes. And another podcast. <laughs> yeah. But so, um, I, I liked that she um it's a reference to when picard earlier when he compliments her on how she is able to kind of see between the lines because he has all this information and of course she wants to refuse it at first because he comes up and he says oh i have all this for you and she's like no i don't want it don't send it to me because i feel like she already knows there that she's gonna get into it not that she would have anyways she was already interested and of course he sends it her way and she finds something that he might have not already found. That's the assumption, right? Is that Picard had not found that in that data? Yes. No, he 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 could not figure it out, but she could. Also, interesting thing to note that another thing that she's suspicious about is Jurati that we see later, uh, closer to the end. Anyway, so now from here, we jump back to Rios talking to his ENH this time. And they list Picard's resume, essentially, where he's like, you know, he saved the Earth from the pork invasion, and he worked with Spock, and he did all these things, and you are, are you seriously not going to side with him? And then they have a conversation. What did you think of that scene? Was there anything out of Picard's resume that you felt that they should have kept in there? Oh, gosh. After only seeing the episode once, I wasn't extremely following all that they were listing but of course we know that Picard has an extensive service record and I I like though that then we get back to uh, Rios kind of saying well it, it brings back more like okay cool this is his whole service record but he's also a man like Picard is not this incredible entity that no one can compare to mm-hmm. and that's what I like about what we've seen from Picard so far is that like you said, we're seeing him being broken down. We see that he's made mistakes. And I feel like we're seeing Picard more human than he's ever been in this show than in TNG. We see it in moments in TNG. Um, most notably, like in episodes like Family, um, which is after he is assimilated into Locutus. It's the episode afterwards, uh, beginning of season four, I think where he goes back to the vineyard and with his brother and they have that conversation there. But I really like the humanity we're seeing out of Picard in this and that not just himself is like, it's not only him feeling it because people after what happened in him resigning, he's not like head honcho anymore and it shows. And yeah, he has this extensive service record, but he's still a man. And again, there's a little more about the grand heroic captain that Rios used to have. And 
it was interesting that he never mentions the gender of the captain. He's like, you know, he says, I already had a grand heroic captain the last time. And then he says, you know, uh, and I saw the last one's brains splattered all over Burkett. He never says he or she. So I'm wondering whom that might be. And I, any theories on who that might be? We know we at least are led to believe that most of the TNG crew is still alive. So I'm wondering if it's Crusher, Will. Oh, because so, we haven't uh, heard anything from yes. them yet. That's yes. a good guess. I honestly hadn't put any thought to it, but that's mm-hmm. a great guess. Because if you would be a grand heroic captain, uh, and the reference is that it would be some someone from the crew, and we know that Riker, Worf, and Jordi are at least supposed to be alive, and we know where Troy is, and we know where Data is, or used mm-hmm. to be, and of course, it, I wouldn't assume, we kind of know where Crusher ends up, but, so I'm, I'm wondering if it's, you know, or if about, it's Wesley. What about Esri? Yes, of course. Oh, they, it could be, there are so many. It could be anyone. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, you know, it could, they, could, they could throw that at you from, uh, they, could, they could come out of the left field and say, you know, uh, Ali's favorite Bajoran became a grand heroic captain. You never know. Oh, well, I would love to hear about that, but I wouldn't be happy about her brains being splattered everywhere. <laughs> yes, true. I agree. And so from here, after the resume talk, we go to Picard wa- looking at the stars. And it's, his, it's him jumping once more into the fray, to borrow a popular phrase. And he, he's talking to Laris and he's saying, you know, I've tried my best, but I really could never feel at home here. And he's like, I'm, in a way, he's saying, you know, the stars are my home. And I'm going to miss all of you, but that's where I belong. And that was really moving to me. What did you think of that scene? Yeah, I really liked it. It was very reminiscent of me, uh, or reminiscent to me, of when we hear in like the motion picture, when Kirk talks about how he doesn't want to be an admiral anymore, or he has like craves that chair, or craves being out there. And that is so true of Picard, because he, he so much thrives in that situation. And he mentions that he's never really known what to do. Okay, so like in the very first episode where he talks about with children, I don't know how to handle myself with children. Or when he goes home in the episode, uh, is it? I think it's called Family, the one that is right after Best of Both Worlds. Uh, yes. Where he goes home. And yeah, to the he, vineyard, yep. Yeah, and um, his nephew asks like why he's never come visit. And he says, well, I've never really been good at this type of thing. And so we all knew it was leading up to Picard leaving because the natural like flow of the story arc would assume that he would get a ship and get a crew and off he would go on this magical space adventure. Maybe not so much magical, but (laughs) so yes, I, I knew of course that he was going to go back out there, but I feel also like if Jabon and Laris know him so well that they knew that already as well. It wouldn't have been anything surprising to them. And we kind of see them come into peace with it in the last episode because they have their reactions, but now they're ready to, to go. Again, missing from this episode, but at least we got a name drop. Number one. Where is number one? Come on, give me number one. Look, that's a big ship. The last thing I see was huge ship. Picard could just jump right back from warp onto the planet. 
let's take five seconds. Beam number one onto that ship. You could use a space dog. Now everybody can use a space dog. Mm-hmm. We saw what happened to space dogs and how well they're appreciated in Enterprise. So come on, you guys, just just give me give me number one is all I'm asking. Are you with me, Ali, on this? Yes. Yeah. Technically, isn't isn't Porthos like the first being? to interact with a first contact like on a new planet because Porthos mm-hmm. jumps out of the shuttle first. So like, yes. come on, space dogs, God, let's just go. Give us, hashtag space dogs, hashtag justice is number one. Anyway, from here we jump into, we go back to the artifact conversation between uh, Ramda and Soji. And now we see it actually taking place. And then she is putting her cards together, her tarot cards, Ramda is as Soji convinces her to let her sit next to her and she speaks in Romulan and then that moves Ramda and she lets her sit next to her and they start talking and she mentions something about a false door and she shows a tarot card and it's like oh that's a false door and Soji mentions yeah that's in it's traditional for Romulan houses to have a false front door which you know, I guess it kind of makes sense as a tradition, but if every house has a false door, then you wouldn't think of it as like a false door, right? You'd just be used to knowing that that's not the actual front door. Uh, this is me thinking too much about a false door, <laughs> when really the cool thing is that it continues the tradition or the culture of Romulans to keep secrets. And so she mentioned something about there being a false door, and then they sit down and they start talking and they start playing with the tarot cards and speak they start speaking to each other and you can tell that Ramda is clearly still dealing with a lot and she has issues that she's dealing with and they intersperse this scene with uh, a scene in the chateau and an awesome action scene but before we get to that what did you think of this scene so far like did you you like the, the little sprinkling of culture I like that we are getting to know more and more about Romulans because we never really knew a whole lot about them yeah, uh, this is actually something that I hope we'll get more exposition on in the future because I was a little bit confused about when they started expressing all the stuff about like mythology and how that relates to them finding like a, a an area or a staple of their healing process, which I think was very fascinating. But as someone who is not extremely experienced in psychology or um, mental health rehabilitation, it leaves me asking questions. But I thought the the conversation felt the way I wanted it to feel, where it wasn't just they sit down and they have like a normal face-to-face conversation because Soji moves behind her as like the idea of the false door where she's sitting behind her and that's the way that they communicate. And we also see that Ramda is using or exerting a amount of effort in order for her to be able to come through and explain or talk to Soji about this stuff. And I liked that there was it wasn't just like, okay, we're going to go sit down and have a conversation and that's going to be it. There was that, like you said, that like external element of it that made it feel a lot more fascinating to me. And I just really liked that the actress who plays Ramda portrays this, um, it's this like outward sense of she's putting down the cards 
and that's like what where her focus is and yet we are hearing almost a complete different conversation happening with soji at the same time so like that duality of it is really interesting for me and that must not be easy to just pull out of a hat and sit down i wonder how much thought and how much um like preparation went into being able to do something like that uh to show how much they're struggling to reclaim themselves from this um this past experience of assimilation which seriously alters mind body etc etc and being able to show that she's trying to break through and yet there are still we see a little bit later in that scene that there are still a lot of issues at hand Hey Ali, the actress who portrayed Ramda is Rebecca Wisocki. But yes, I agree. It was a nice way to show the amount of things that she's dealing with, and she's able to elucidate some of that, like put them into words and say, you know, uh, you. And then she's like, she's playing, she's turning the cards over, and then Soji mentions something about one of the cards, and she says, "Oh, that's interesting that you took that from Romulan mythology." And she's like, "I hate that word. It's not mythology. It's news for us." and that's what it's like stories have become so important to them that they're using these stories to deal with their trauma and we've seen that happen countless times through history people often do that uh, especially with religion when a mass shooting or some kind of national tragedy occurs people use it's a term that has now come become a little infamous and notorious but they use they thoughts and prayers and they use vigils and marches and things they can do to get together with the religion uh and so that's i i found it interesting that even romulans no matter what you think about them are at least the the ones that we see are using things similar to humanity just goes to show how similar we as people are and we continue to be and so before we get into more of that scene i would like to go back to the action scene which is interspersed so you see the back and forth now zaban zaban comes from somewhere like a store he brings groceries and uh, he he's talking to picard and laris and he drops an apple and as soon as he went down a shot fires across the room and then both of them jovan and laris immediately go into the jason bourne mode you can tell all that tal shiar training has come into play and that's a, i can we talk about how good the action scene was that was like john wick level action yes and you can tell that just because the show is not really showing a lot of action that they've clearly spared no expense and gone to the best people to get these fights because that was an awesome fight the way it was shot the way they fought you got to see picard do some fighting and then he picks up a weapon and just starts taking people down it was that was a pretty cool action scene what do you think of that action scene yeah i really liked it so something that's interesting that i will always ask Uh so my husband is a martial arts instructor for the military along with his actual job in the military which is as a marine musician but I always ask him when we're watching movies or shows when they are doing not like action scenes martial arts um how they're holding weapons and stuff how accurate he feels that is to like hey is that a real thing that you do is that an actual move or uh, is that I apologize like- for interrupting but you said your husband is a marine musician Yes. So the military and is a martial arts instructor. Yes. This is just uh this is worse than watching Rio shirtless. It's like <laughs> oh my god, man. Just everyone just uh, that's it's pretty cool. Okay, you guys, I'm going to I'm going to continue my harmonica training. I promise I will get better at it. I need to get back <laughs> into it. 
But that is very cool. I'm sorry. I was trying to make a joke, but that is awesome. Please continue. No, that's fine. So I, I always ask him how accurate he feels that the action scenes are to if a fight actually broke out. Like, uh, we do it a lot in Marvel movies too, where I'm like, is that, can someone actually feasibly do that or would that not work? And he's been saying that the action scenes are really good uh, in Picard, not just what we see from this one, but what we've seen in the past episodes, that they feel very, uh, I guess the best word is like tangible, because the way that it's shot and the cinematography doesn't make it just seem like magical things are happening and people are falling and getting kicked, where you see the struggle with it. You see them actually fight with each other and um, bottles being broken and furniture being pushed over and... uh, I, I really liked it. And also the fact that Shaban and Laris are just literally owning it. Absolutely. It was like a trigger where it was like, okay, it's a life and death situation. And it's not even like you see something happen. It's just they go into it, which is exactly what they would have to do with their Tal Shiar training. It's incredible. One of the things that I picked out in that fight scene is, you know, they don't maybe... It's too silly, but they would, a lesser show might have said, oh, Picard can still fight. But you can tell in the scene, he can, he just can't. Again, uh, and that's part of the breaking him down. And, you know, there are some things you can do humanly, but clearly they show him do the Indiana Jones thing where he knows he cannot physically overpower someone. So he does the smart thing where he picks up a weapon, waits for the right spot or the right moment and shoots people down. Now, Here's where I really have a huge theory about Jurati. Because we see Jurati walk into the scene. And so what happens is they the fight seemingly is over and they've taken down everyone. When you see from the back or a space that goes into the back, an agent walk in. And just as he lifts his weapon up and points it toward Picard and the group, Jurati takes him down. And she shoots with uh, one of their rifles. And then she says, oh, I, I, I'm assuming he was on the stun setting, right? And then Lara says, no, there is no stun setting on Romulan weapons, which is a really cool callback to reunification in which Sila says the same thing to Data when he's like, oh, that was on the stun, right? And Sila says, no, no, there is no stun setting on Romulan weapons. We, we shoot to kill. So now if you just think about, you were talking about the, real, the realness of fights. If you think about the physics of the way that fight went down, First off, where did Jurati get the weapon from? Where did she get that rifle from? Uh, because she shoots the one person, or at least we are led to believe the, the person that walks out, where to shoot the last guy, and she shoots him down. So where did the weapon that he's not carrying, because he's using it to point, he's pointing his weapon to Picard, where did she get that rifle from? And let's, again, give her the benefit of the doubt. Let's assume that she was in the other room and she had beamed down. And she had overpowered one of them and taken the rifle. Again, how would she have done that without a weapon? If she's just a, you know, oh, I'm just a researcher in Daystrom, Okinawa, listening to classical music in my spare time and doing research on this interesting thing. So again, I, I, I don't know. I don't have the answers. Maybe it's just that they're making it so obvious that she's someone that we shouldn't believe is on playing a different side that it turns out that she actually is fine. But this was really something that stood out to me the second time I watched it. I was like, where did she get that weapon from? How did she shoot? Uh, just so clearly. And then the way she comes up and she's like, oh, I'm so scared and it's shaking. And I don't know if that was an act. 
because clearly she's not she, the things that she did it it just it just all felt too suspicious to me so anyway they managed to capture one of the romulans keep him alive they tie him to a chair and they start asking questions again this is interspersed with going back to the artifact where soji brings up a touchy subject with ramdev she's like you know i really need to know what happened with your situation and how you got assimilated we find out that she was on the last ship that the borg assimilated and then she's like how did they do it how did the sub matrix of the ship collapse to where the the borg could take over and it was at that point where ramda is getting clearly more and more there is more and more coming at her she's more, more and more burden so she starts turning more and more cards over and then she picks up one card and she's like you're a sister which sister are you are you the one who lives or are you the one who dies and then she says something to the effect of oh i've seen you i've met you from tomorrow which i wonder what tomorrow is that she's referring to but i let you speak here in a few seconds i just wanted to say uh, does it mean that soji is unaware of the fact or she is not woken up yet quote unquote to the fact that she maybe have time traveled to these people back in the past because she is if the reference is is that the tomorrow is some is supposed to be something from their mythology or their history does that mean that soji was part of the mythology anyway so i threw so much at you just talk about all of it talk about the physics of the fight if you agree with that and then talk about this sisters and destroyers sajin she calls it sajin and all of it it was it was crazy yeah um so when you were speaking to the effect of the fact that everything that's been happening with Gerardi is a little bit too uh too unlikely to happen naturally i guess is the best way to say it i uh when you mentioned her acquiring the weapon i guess i assumed right away that someone had been kicked outside the like had gone through one of the windows with the weapon and then she upon hearing the fire when she beamed like the gunfire or blaster fire whatever uh upon beaming down that she would have grabbed it uh but i also think what's interesting is in a lot of other uh like when our characters in star trek are beaming down to a certain place usually the transporter operator will have done a scan or something of the area in which they are beaming down to and would have noticed that there were uh disruptions i suppose is the best way to explain it but with the whole era in in that time of public transporters for them i don't know if that's something that there's not an operator there they just plug it in and then they go and not worry about what's there well let's say she did find out that something was going on before she beamed down and she came down with a weapon uh that's to be true. guarded why would she have the romulan weapon because mm-hmm. it's the same phaser rifle that everybody else has it's not a phaser or a starfleet weapon it's that exact weapon that they all have anyway keep going sorry yeah no it's just it's just a little bit too happenstance and all all together so far we've seen that gerardi has proven herself as a very intelligent woman but we've never seen her in more of like a combat inspired situation in which this is So her with her interactions with other Starfleet people at Daystrom, which I'm assuming she worked directly under Maddox, who was a Starfleet officer or yeah, no no longer currently is but was 
and that Starfleet would probably be consistently visiting their uh, institute. It seems a little bit too strange to me that she would be so broken up about what what was happening, uh, especially in a world that has experienced so much loss, what happened at Utopia Planitia. Uh, it's a wonder that also working with synthetic life forms that they wouldn't have had any prior training or something like that. I mean, they talk about so much today, um, like active shooter drills, stuff like that. Um, and of course, synth the uh, synthetic life and her working with them would or could be a dangerous situation, like a code error, like you said, fatal code error. I can't imagine that would have never, ever happened in a testing process. Uh, but perhaps maybe she wasn't the one armed that there were guards in the room. I don't know. It's all a big question, and we're going to find out more about it as we go. But I think that Gerardi's a little bit too good to be true so far. We'll see a little bit later what happens there. But going on to the cube, which you were mentioning back on uh, the cube where we see Soji and all of that happening... I I wonder, though, because those cards that you mentioned, I don't remember exactly what you said they were called, but... Um, the have, Bach meat. Yes, that's what you mentioned. The, the whole conversation about what's happening, oh, I'll see you tomorrow, in that I wonder if tomorrow is the way that Ramda is trying to express that Soji is awake and aware of herself. You mentioned that a little bit in that either Soji is not aware of the moments and when she turns into that, well, I'm going to flip over to me being like not completely Android, but being able to use those abilities versus not knowing. And they express the way that Ramda is able to express that is in a time frame or a day frame. I don't know. But I think that there's obviously some connection in which we see the card with the twins on it, in that, I don't know, with mythology being way back with the Romulans before AI, before androids ever existed, but that she finds a connection with Daj and Soji. I am just so fascinated with all of this. They're able to piece this together in which we finally feel like we have something figured out, and then we're left asking more questions. And we'll see how that develops. But this scene in itself, we see at the end, I believe it is this cross-section scene in which obviously Ramda is getting very upset and um, grabs a guard's weapon and attempts to kill other people and then in turn kill herself. And Soji kind of does that snap into her using her abilities to stop Ramda from doing that. And fantastically, no one in the room... The, any of the other guards and Hugh don't see it or don't take any notice to it because it's assumed that she was able to get over to there so fast that she could stop it. And yet there's no like, how did you do that? How did you get over there so fast? It's just um, Hugh remarks consistently about how incredible it is that she knows things and that she does things in that I wonder if he knows more than he's letting on. Not that he knows she's an android, but that, of course, he has suspicions about her and he's waiting for them to be a little bit more confirmed. And that would be a con confirmation for me if I saw that. There's obviously something going on there. 
Yeah, it's uh, what what I found particularly interesting was that, well, I'm a bit of a tarot nerd. Like I like tarot. I don't believe in the the overall significance and the way they play out and stuff. But I like the history and the I know Ramda hates the word, but the mythology surrounding the tarot cards. But the tarot card sisters that she flips over looks very familiar, because if you look at tarot cards, there is a similar card in which it's so tarot cards are typically rectangular. and mm-hmm. it's very similar to where it's two people standing on either corners and they kind of look almost the same except in a tarot card there's a card called the lovers and it's a man and a woman and they are naked and they're just standing and so i thought that was like a interesting it was i don't know if it was an homage to the way tarot cards are but the fact that they have that and that something like that has carried over but in their in the way they look at it it's sisters is very interesting to me okay so they we go back to the chateau picard is interrogating this person and both of them almost at the same time ramda and this guy that they're interrogating who's a stubborn northerner as laris puts it as she flips like smacks him on the head it's a uh, they both exclaim that she's the sajinin or the destroyer she's the end of all now we've i hope this story doesn't go the route of season 2 a star trek discovery my biggest problem with that season is that control is supposed to be the end of all you know and it's like skynet and we just came back from a story like that and now we're going in i hope not because this one scene but they both call her the destroyer or the or the end of all i really hope the story doesn't go there where it's like oh another thing where the world is about to end i hope it's more like blade runner where it's not really affecting things right now but it's still very important and has a deep significance but that was my one weird thing i was like okay i'm glad you called her that and it's uh, i get it but i hope you don't go the right of route of oh she awakens and then now she has a giant beam shooting army and a bunch of borg people that she controls i hope they don't go down that road so uh, before we get into the next scene here a couple of things i noticed when soji and ramda are talking she mentions that uh, their sisters and she says one of them are you the one who lives or the one who dies and then you cut between two people you see a romulan a romulan you see ramda and the guy and then one of them lives and another one dies mm-hmm. i thought that was pretty i don't know if it was again on homage or uh, deliberate but that was pretty cool where they, she said oh are you the one who lives and the one who dies and one of them lives and one of them dies uh, the guy kills himself using a poison similar to what we saw fall on dodge in the pilot it's like uh a green like gassy liquid that he takes out of his mouth it was uh, i believe a connection do you know what cyanide capsules are yes. ali so i think it was like something like that where uh, especially in our uh, secrets are secret not a secret army our secret agencies agents who are infiltrated in different parts of the world they're given things like that that they can use to kill themselves instantly so they are not compromised and forced to give out information so i thought that was really interesting anyway what do you think of the way that scene ended it ends with ramda reaching for a weapon and then but before she does that she's contained and he's like you know the guy who lost his weapon is the one who needs to be disciplined like get let's get out of here and soji and all of them leave that room and here this guy kills himself what do you what do you think of the way it ended just give us your thoughts yeah it was really fascinating because <laughs> i saw someone tweet about this earlier about how they need to be more um someone's got to 
track down these Romulan dentists that are allowing these little capsule teeth. We got to figure out what's going on with that. And I'm so glad. I was worried at first. My heart skipped a beat when, because um, he kind of spits that stuff at Jaban and his jacket starts getting there. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I was freaking out. But he was able to like pull it off in time. And um, Dodge was not quite so lucky. But I think that this this scene where after all this happens and um, in in with Soji and Ramda and Hugh is they're saying they're kind of obviously shook up after what's happened and Hugh obviously takes control because he is the one who in that scenario would have to take control and it's the Hugh that because he knows what's going on he has experience with the Borg he has experience with the reclamation project and some of these other people that he's working with don't seem to be able to have a handle on that as well because they haven't gone through it. How would they know? It's that personal experience that allows him that edge in which I'm assumed why he was made the director of the reclamation project. And he takes control immediately and says, no, that, that guard needed to be more handy with his weapon or this, have, this could have been a very unfortunate situation. So he needs to be the one not i mean these people are already struggling you can't blame them for something because they're having problems i i feel like that that blame is so quick that they placed oh it was them and hugh says no it's not they're struggling you're just automatically assuming that it's all their fault it was hard to watch uh but hugh takes that control and i love it hugh goes hey that's not how it goes I'm glad Hugh is finally claiming his presence and his moment and he's showing why he's deserving to be in that role. I cannot wait to see where it goes in the future. I know from some previews that Hugh and Picard end up talking to each other. We know that will definitely happen. So I, and it feels like they're on the artifact. So I'm sure they make it there and they talk to each other. I cannot wait for that scene to happen. I cannot wait to see a fully claimed Hugh who once told Picard resistance is not futile. Now talking to Picard, who's trying his best to resist, but with no power on his, off his own, except this tiny ragtag crew. Speaking of tiny ragtag crew, next scene is Jurati talking herself or convincing Picard that she needs to be on the ship and needs to be part of the crew. Now, if you ignore everything that Ali and I said about what we think Jurati is or who we think she is, you know, I'm, I have a really tiny, tiny, like crazy conspiracy theory mind. Oh, the pyramids are built by aliens kind of mindset. But I'm like, you know, we have seen in the past season one of Discovery. We know from that, we know that skin grafting is possible. So people can completely change. So there is a really tiny but strong possibility to me that Jurati could be Maddox. Oh. And it's Maddox just having found a way to come back, having changed everything. So there is no way people would suspect that it is Maddox. So especially the way he, oh, I'm sorry, especially the way she sells herself to Picard. And only someone with experience knowing what Picard is like and what he likes Maybe someone who saw him in a courtroom trial once talk about the things he values 
only someone like that could know exactly what buttons to push and how to convince Picard. And she does. And she convinces Picard and Rios and they get on the ship. Uh, but before we see who's on that ship, we go back to the artifact. And we see Soji talking to her mom in a room. So this is where I have to make a correction. I thought, the did you see the plus this time, Ali? Yes, I did. Yeah. So I had to make a correction. I thought previously that was Narek's room and he was the one who had a plush. But, you know, either way, I, I still don't know who that plush is. I've not gotten any answers on it. I'm still saying it's the salt creature from the pilot. And uh, it was, she talks to someone on the, on the video space phone. And she, we are led to believe that that's her mom. But is that the same woman who was in the pilot talking to Daj when Daj called her mom? It looks like it, but it's hard to tell because when we see Dodge talk to her, there's a more like a wider frame. But mm -hmm. in this little tiny pad that she's holding, you kind of it's just a little tiny like cutout section of her face. You don't see yes. the entire thing. You don't see her hair. Yeah. It seems like it's the same person, but I'm interested in the fact that why didn't Soji try to call Dodge or did she? And that's why she is now mm -hmm. talking to her mom and saying, is yeah. Dodge OK? Mm hmm. I I mean, I'm assuming she tried to contact Dosh first because they yes. had been in communication. I don't know. I, I'm sure she would have asked those questions, but she kind of passes out. So we don't know exactly what, why she passed out, what she found out. But yes, that is very interesting. I'm assuming she did try to contact her and she just never got an answer. So she talks to her mom. And again, in this in this version of the phone, She's like a 3D hologram as opposed to the 2D that was when Daj was talking to her mom. So it was really difficult to tell. Or maybe she has two mothers and they're both moms. We don't, I, I don't know. I just, I didn't immediately feel like that was the same person. But I found it interesting that the mom was like, oh yeah, she's fine. She's thinking about getting a puppy and never asking, wait, why didn't you call Daj? Why are you calling me? And about that's moms, right? Like they... There are things happen, but you've, you've got to love moms. Anyway, so she passes out and falls down. And then when she wakes up, Narek comes into her room. And that was an interesting conversation where she starts confessing to him that she doesn't know where or how she knows that there was a ship called the Shenor and that Ramda was on it, but she doesn't know how she knows it, but she's worried. So... From that, did you get that when she tells you that she read the dossier, she was lying? I think of it not so much as a lie, but as an omitted of information. Because she's still, she doesn't know how she figured it out. But it's hard to tell someone above you that you don't know the answer to the question that they're asking. So I'm assuming she she pulled something up saying, oh, I must have, I asked for it and I, I got it. And because Hugh says something about, uh, when she says, well, you know, if you just ask people, they'll actually help you with things. And Hugh says, like, that's not the experience that I've had here. So it makes it seem like she's trying to cover something up. But it's because she genuinely, she shows it in this scene. But I think that overall, the more that she discovers, the obviously, the more anxious that she gets. Because it's hard to you be spouting out information and then after that have no recollection of where you saw it or where you read it from. That's terrifying. What I found even more interesting was that Narek, instead of actually reacting to what she says, throws her off and he says, oh, I have a secret that I need you to keep. I might be falling in love with you. Have you ever seen the show The Americans? 
I have not, but I've heard good things. Yes, you should check it out. It's about these Russian spies living in 80s America and then masquerading as Americans, but they're really Russian, Soviet spies from the KGB. And one of the things that is in that show that I was able to connect when I was watching it was that in the show, there's a similar moment where the lead character, the lead actor, the male spy, he is actually trying to convince this woman from a CIA office to be his partner and want to get make things more serious when in fact he's a spy and she doesn't know. So she starts to suspect some things about the office and she says something like, oh, you know, all these things are going on in the office, uh, but I don't know why you need me to get this information and I don't know if I should be getting this information. And he immediately says, you know, you're really the only person I can trust. And I think I'm falling in love with you. We should get married. And then he turns the topic away. And I feel like that's just inherent to spies and secret agents is they make that human connection deeper so you don't have to suspect or wonder about all the things that are happening. Because if you think about it, if Soji really sat down and thought these things through, she'd wonder, why is all this happening when Narek shows up? And why does Narek show up exactly at the right time or the wrong time? But she's not able to do the, make those connections because he shows up and he starts saying things that we don't know if he believes. And it was just, that was interesting. What did you think of that scene? Like Narek showing up, your, your favorite space hottie. Yeah. <laughs> so I actually originally, when I watched it, thought, because when she passes out, we don't know how much time she's been passed out for. So I originally was of the mind where maybe she had missed work or something and they people were wondering where she was and so he went to check on her. But like you have mentioned, he does seem to stroll along at just the right times and it's it's very obvious and he does mention it and I am always getting ahead of myself when I'm doing my explanations to the next scene, but he's obviously trying to push her away from the realizations. And he does it very well in this scene. But I also wanted to mention about this scene and why I am leaning towards Narek as my space hottie is that while he keeps trying to express, like in the last episode when uh, Lieutenant Rizzo, who we find out is his sister, comes along and says that, um, or asks about what, what is happening and how it's all going, and he he tries to make it apparent that he has no feelings for her, that it's all part of the job. I don't think that's true. We mentioned a little bit in the last episode, but I think that there's something there. While he he is not who he appears to be on the outside to Soji, I don't think that he's just completely off to it. Because there's gotta be... That connection seems to be real. And sometimes that's really hard to fake. I don't know, maybe Narek is especially talented in faking that kind of thing. But in the next scene, I'm sorry, I will skip ahead just a little bit. We see Rizzo talking to him and saying, don't, don't, fall, don't fall in love with her. So it makes me wonder why he is so uh, qualified to do this sort of reconnaissance. And if he's done this sort of reconnaissance in the past. I don't know. I did like the next scene as well i really like the setting in the back you can see the borg cubes coming together and going back and they reveal this red light behind a fan that's turning that was that was pretty it felt pretty cool like a very 
Mission Impossible type of scene, like from something you'd seen a spy through it. That was a nice setting. And this time you see Rizzo in her full Romulan attire, which makes me wonder why didn't. She... So this time I'm assuming because she's in a full Romulan attire, that she's there and she's not a hologram this time. You can you can kind of tell that too because she smells him. Speaking of which, they have a very creepy vibe, both of yeah. them. It's, yeah. I have not seen Game of Thrones, but I was talking to Bill about this, and he said. Cersei and someone else like a, have you seen Game of Thrones? Oh yeah, yeah. Is there like a creepy the, the creepy sibling relationship? Uh, well, you find it out in the first episode of Game of Thrones, so that's not really spoiling it. But okay, um, there is a very strange vibe between the yeah. two of them that I makes me feel strange. And I don't know. Is this is the first time we're seeing a Romulan brother and sister, right? Mm-hmm. So I don't know if that's just their family dynamic, which would make things really weird at the dinner table. But she <laughs> she smells him, and she's like, "Oh, that smell is carnal," like making weird implications. And then she talks about Soji, but as if Soji is a machine. But I mean, she I guess she kind of is. Not like there's a difference between a machine and an android. That's a whole different podcast. <laughs> but she talks about her not with a gender, but she's like it's a machine. has the machine given up her nest and it's like that's again reminded me of battlestar galactica and the cylons different people have different reactions some of them fall in love with the cylons even after they know that they are cylons but some people just taunt them by asking things like this where it's like like how does it feel being in love with a machine and like making love to a machine like it's it's so weird and uh, i did appreciate rizzo's attire do we know if rizzo is a real name uh, because he doesn't mention a name right or does he I don't think it is because her real name would sound more Romulan, I would mm-hmm. assume, and that Rizzo would be something she adopted in order to like fit in with Starfleet because she poses as a human, so it would be a more human name. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, so that was yes, that was a good, that was an interesting scene, and now we go to the final scene of the episode, you guys. If you listened this long, congratulations, you're awesome, and we love doing longer episodes here on Polytrex and. We're glad you're you're around to listen, but we get to the final scene where everybody's on the ship. You see the crew coming together, and Rios is waiting for Picard and Jurati to show up. They both beam up, and there, sitting in the navigational chair, is Musiker, and she is she she starts talking to Picard, and Picard's like, "You're welcome to join us," and she's like, "No, I'm not joining you. I'm just hitching a ride." But just so you know, we're going to free cloud. because that's where Maddox is and i don't know how the gonic part of it connects but then jurati introduces herself and she's like who is this lady again another thing on the the minute they meet she says have you done a security check on her like even the most basic of security checks but you're immediately cut to her innocent sweet smile and you're like oh that's nice and then they all sit down and rios just sets everything up and he turns to picard and here comes the fan service moment where everybody became 10 years old again watching tng he does the engage and i bet when the premiere happened that you and i are not fancy enough to go to but that must have been the loudest cheer moment when he says engage and the tng music comes on and the ship just goes in warp Now, what do you think of that scene i i don't know if i'm a huge fan of the engage moment I felt like it was a fan service of fan service's sake because first off, how would Rios know 
I was just going to say that. Like, yeah. I was like, how would Rios know that's that he was he's the captain of the ship? In in all honesty, no matter how respectful you are of Picard, there's no way you could have known that engages a thing he says. But we know that. And they're like, oh, we need to be, this is insert fan service moment. I'm sure that was what they wrote in the script. I'm not mad at it, but I was like, I kind of had the reaction that both Jurati and Musikar had. Where Jurati is first like, she just jumps up in excitement. She's like, oh, he said engage. And then Musikar is like, oh, this guy. <laughs> so full of himself. I was like, yes, that's, that's kind of what I felt. I was like, you know, I'm glad you said engage. And it was a beautiful moment. But if we go back from it, you're like, how does Rivas know? That's a thing. How does Jurati know? That's a thing. Musikar probably knows, but she's not a fan of it. So she, and she has no control over this moment. But anyway, what do you think of both those scenes? Uh, we kind of talked about the Narek and Rizzo real name yet to be revealed. And uh, what did you think of this last final scene? I, it was it was very moving. I love the music when it came on. But the engaged thing was like, you know, you're really doing it because, you know, we are watching. <laughs> Which is like, how shame on you. I will rewatch this episode dozens of times to get to that moment. Shame on you for making me feel that way now. <laughs> no, I um, kind of like you said, it was a moment that, of course, I had to love, but also had to be like, wait a minute, what? The only, I guess, thing that I can come up with as to how all of them would seem to know, besides Musker, who has served with Picard before, is that there would have been people from the Enterprise that had been on the bridge crew that would have talked about it to other people. So not like the normal bridge crew members that we see, but like the rotating ensigns or um, people back at the engineering station or security that they would have mentioned. Oh, that's like his signature thing that he says. Or, I mean, like Pike with like, hit it, um, another space hottie moment for me. But... (laughs) But that's the only reason I can come up with that any of them would possibly know. And yeah, it's fun because we get to see, hey, that's like his signature thing. And it is exciting. And I can't imagine having Picard on the bridge of a starship without saying it. But maybe there would have been some context before. Because Rios would have figured out where they were going from because uh, Musker mentions it. And so he wouldn't need to wait for Picard. It's not like he has formally claimed captainship of this ship that he needs to call all the shots. Uh, And in general, Rios doesn't seem like the type of guy that would be willing to, like, give it to him in all this that he's been trying to show that he's kind of like this bad boy and isn't the one that would be like, oh, oh, whatever you say, Picard. So, yeah, um, it was a fun bit of fan service, but... uh, not necessarily so um, something that you think would actually happen that they would all magically know. Yeah, especially since the previous scene we saw them both interacted. He's like, hey, either hire me or leave me alone. Just don't try to get into my head. And from that, he goes to like, oh, do your thing, Captain. I want to watch it. And it was like, it was a very weird way to put that in. But speaking of, because you're stuck around this long, I need to reward all of you by giving you some exciting news slash updates. If you've listened to the latest Trek Geeks episode, you probably know, but the crew coming together looks like it's not just on screen because fan sets has revealed that their next two pins that are going to come, at least the next two of the next wave 
are Musikar and Jurati. So we know we're getting a Musikar pin and a Jurati pin. So if you'd like to engage like Picard does, make sure you get in on fansearch.com and use the discount code. It's the smartest, most subtle discount code of the Fansearch discount codes. It's Polytrex, P-O-L-I-T-R-E-K-S. Use that on the promo code to get uh, the promo code section on the checkout page to get 15% off your pins. But so we saw three different outfits of Musiker, or I guess a few more, but at least majorly, we saw her in the T2. I call it the T2 Sarah Connor outfit. Then we saw her in her uniform. And then we see her in this other outfit that we'll probably see her in most of the show. And I wondered which pin we'll get. So I'm I'm excited. Uh, same with Jurati. I guess we'll get the green coat Jurati. Uh, or whoever she will be revealed to be later on. And anyway, I, for a reward for sticking out this long, you guys, that's our discount code. Make sure to use it on fansets.com. Anyway, we made it to the end of the episode. Much like Picard, we cannot wait to engage with Star Trek Picard in the next seven episodes. It's going to be a glorious seven weeks. Hopefully, Ali will come back. And we will have some guests that we can talk to in the future. But... For now, you can follow me on at gutter underscore hero. Please tell me what you thought of the episode. I'm excited to hear your thoughts. And if you don't want to engage with me, you want to only engage with the Polytrex channel, you can do that on twitter.com slash Polytrex. Please tell us what you thought of the show. And I would really like to know, this is very important to me, you guys. So I want to know who would your EMH be? And I would love to know who your ENH would be. Give me both and give me the reasons why. This person's your emergency medical hologram and this person's your emergency navigational hologram. Anyway, Ali, where can people find you? What Are you doing any podcast things that you'd like to talk about? I don't know. Oh, yes, most definitely. Uh, so first, you all can find me on a variety of platforms. I can be found primarily on Twitter with the handle at TTrecky. I can also be found at that handle on Instagram. If you type in that handle on Facebook, it'll take you to my Facebook page, or you can look up the 24-year-old Trekkie. I do have a website also, which is currently somewhat under construction, but if you want to visit it, you certainly can. It is uh, ttrekkie.wordpress.com. I also have a YouTube channel that I'm planning on doing more with lately, um, or coming soon. So um, you can look up 24-year-old Trekkie on YouTube as well. Other than that, uh, I think I got all of them, but I am going to be doing an exciting podcast venture with Shashank that he mentioned in the last episode, and um, we've been planning it for a long time, and Shashank has been very kind to give me a little bit of time during my move and a bunch of life stuff that's been happening to me, so uh, I feel very fortunate that he stuck around for me, but uh, I know that we have uh, mentioned it before, but it is Who is Trek? And we're super excited to present it to you guys um, and super excited to be a part of the Trek Geeks podcast network. It is really, truly a dream. I never, ever thought that I would be a part of the network. Actually, Trek Geeks was the first podcast, Star Trek podcast that I ever listened to. So it really feels like I'm living the dream right now. But yes, who is Trek? Shashank and I, um, with lots of hashtag justice for Brown Romulans, hashtag justice for number one. Um have and multiple other hashtags you'll you'll hear it i'm sure anyway guys that's it for this episode we cannot wait to come back and talk to you about the next episode looks like we'll be going deep into some romulan mythology this time because i did you get to see the preview of the next episode where you are ali i did not okay well i won't i won't get into it too much but it's it's an exciting one i'm sure and i cannot wait to continue to do this with ali and other guests and 
Until next time, live long and prosper. And onward to start cycling.